Welcome to another episode of the Roach Coach Podcast, the journey to create the new metal canon. My name is Lauren Kozlowski. With me, as always, the Indigo Angel, Jennifer Sosha. Hello. And the original Roach Rider, Mr. Matt Nas. Keep on rolling, baby. There we go. Episode 200, you guys. 200. 200. 200. We did it. People said it couldn't be done. People said... You can't do, how many episodes can you do this thing? Well, here we are, 200 episodes later. And not not going to lie, I thought we were going to be done around 50. So. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 oh, man. No, 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 you wrote Riders and Indigo Angels to know that this decision was not made lightly. We thought about a lot of things, considered a lot of options. We made a lot of plans, and then a couple things happened. My schedule got a little complicated. Then a pandemic happened. Right. Hope everybody's that. safe and doing good. Indeed, we hope everyone is doing safe. Doing safe. Be Do, safe. Do safe. Do safe. Do, Do safe. safe. Be safe. Oh, safe. yeah. Safe is the message. Absolutely. And so we felt, what better album to do for episode 200 than an album that we have teased out for a long time, St. Anger by Metallica. Or as Stanger. We Stanger, baby. Street St- Anger. Street Anger. <laughs> we, we are going to talk all about this album. We're going to talk about the doc, some kind of monster. We are going to dive all into this record. But first, I mean, we really got to talk about it for a minute, you guys. 200 apps. I can't believe it. Yet at the same time, I can. And I just want to kind of go around the room and um, say, you know, reflecting on the last 100 apps. Jenny, we'll start with you. Any fave moments, fave episodes, fave albums, anything you want to glean from the last 100 apps that we've done that really has stuck with you? Yeah, so I looked back through the last hundred episodes, and boy, oh boy, is that a lot of episodes. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, one of my favorite things were some of the learning, some of the learning moments that I had over the course of the last hundred episodes. Uh, one was learning what horny on the main meant. Mm. <laughs> I have to say, we've been now uh, at home for quite a while. Horny on the main is really something I'm glad that I have a term for because it's something that I am seeing big time. Uh, And also uh, learning the British up yours and that it wasn't a peace sign. Little moments like that. A lot of learning. Uh, I also had a great time at Rock and Pod. uh, Looking back on that, what a wild experience. And then of all the things, I think the one that really filled my heart up with joy when I was looking back, uh, the Null Set episode, the Null Set doc, and Shippy, of course. Those are those are some of my fave moments. Matt? I have a lot. Um, number one, the theme months really came into their own during this time. So during this, like right after 100, we went into Forefathers Month. So, mm-hmm. so we got to ask, is this a papa? And then uh, we had our special episode of new metal tracks by non-new metal artists. Then we had the producer spotlight on Ross oh, yeah. Robinson. Ravaged I, by Cure fans. <laughs> just 
loved by Cure fans across the board. Uh, we had Sweet Mitchell joining us for WWF Forcible Entry. Oh, that's right. How could I forget? Uh, we had um, the summer of... Uh, <laughs> of I'm looking family values. The family values summer. Um, but I would still say... Um, huge fan of, um, Charles Manchin. He came out in episode 100. So he's uh, shown up quite a bit. And, uh, the creation of Funky Ken. Indeed, you guys have covered, yeah, a lot of my favorite moments too. Um, yeah, the recording the issues episode in, in your hotel room, uh, was, um. Madness. Oh, oh, madness oh wait did we record that in your hotel room jenny yes i believe so yes, yes it was. yeah truly madness truly an incredible time um, we do rock and pod we wait two hours for hot chicken <laughs> we all have a lapse in energy i look at jenny and i'm like uh, there's no fucking way we can do this there's no way and then we get that hot chicken grease in us that's true blast through Indeed. Um, you know, I have to say, one of my favorite episodes that we did, the Amazing Jekyll Brothers episode. The Juggalo Hundo? The Juggalo Hundo. That was a super blast. A lot of fun. Um, all of the live shows that we've done, a lot of fun. Um, also, just getting to inject the new new in, doing the whole month of new new. That was a lot of fun. And... Um, and you know what? I, I think still one of my favorite moments of the last hundred apps is uh, surprising you, Jenny, with the message from Scooter for your wedding. Uh, how could I forget about Scooter and honking on Bobo? Uh, oh, that's yeah. true. With a hundred apps. How is apps, your copy goes down. of honking on Bobo? Oh, yeah. It's still pristine. <laughs> pristine in the package, unhonked. Um, unhonked It's going to be worth millions. Something... Aerosmith is still very much a, a relevant cultural force. Something's going to happen. Absolutely. I don't know what it's going to be. I hope it's good. That sounded really <laughs> <Yeah>. doomy. <laughs> like, I wish the best for Aerosmith. Bobo remains unhonked, but I'll you'll be the first to know if I open it. I promise. And uh, you know what? I, I got to say... Uh... The other the moment, I mean, it's it's a it's a, I guess a bittersweet. Um, but Jenny, you and I going to see uh, Static X and Devil Driver, oh, and yes. uh, just getting in the cups and and reliving that. That why will always stay with me. And I I think I want to throw a little tease in because Matt, you did mention our various theme months, and then uh, last year's theme summer, the Family Values theme summer, which indeed was a whole lot of fun, and. Um, we're not going to announce it just yet, but I think we're going to do another theme summer. I think we got something. I think we got something in the pipes. No pandemic's going to stop a theme summer, baby. That's so, true. Yeah. So it's for the coming. very first time, we are all recording in separate places. This yeah, is insanity. insanity. Yeah, we so, are all. Yeah, for safety's sake. Uh, well, yeah. So thank you, everyone who's been with us the last hundred and the, maybe the last two hundred, and we hope you stick with us for the next hundred and beyond. I guess that's the last question I had uh, when I was thinking of uh, talking about this, Jenny. Uh, I'll start with you. Hopes, dreams, aspirations for the next one hundred. Anything on your mind? You know what? I just hope that we are able to keep doing this, and that. 
people are able to keep listening. And I don't know. This is it's a weird thing to ask about hopes and dreams when we're all mm. locked at home because that's of true. Global pandemic. So for the podcast, I hope we can keep doing it. Um, <laughs> I hope I continue <laughs> to learn. Uh, I hope people just keep being horny on the main because <laughs> we'll oh. all remember. <laughs> Um, uh, I really, though, I just, I hope, I'm really excited to discover new favorite moments and new bands and uh, hear from new Roach Riders and Indigo Angels. Um, those are just my hopes and dreams. That's just it. Matt? How about you? Yeah, I definitely want to keep connecting with our Roach Riders and Indigo Angels. They honestly make this so rewarding like i love doing this with you guys and i would do this with you if no one listened but then when we get an email where somebody is just finding us and then all of a sudden they've gone through 125 episodes so far and had to write us it is humbling to say the least and um and just grateful just be just be grateful and hopefully i won't be so fucking thirsty uh thirsty bitch for the next hundo. Uh, Matt, listen, being thirsty, nothing wrong with that. Same as there's nothing wrong with being horny on the main. You're mm. just being real with everybody, you know? One I last mean, one last wish. I May somebody in the next hundred episodes say something on par with Coconut Dracula. Because that has brought me more joy than I ever expected two words combined to ever do. Uh, you know what? I think I think it's possible because new metal has uh, has always delivered to us um, some choice lyrical bon mots. So I think we're gonna see something soon in our future. I, I just feel it. Um, and yeah, I echo both of what you have said. You know, um, I just want to keep learning, keep hearing about new bands. I'm, I'm I, we're gonna get into it when we get into who's tweeting. But um, you know, recommendations have never stopped and just when i think i've heard of everybody just when i think there's nobody left that we haven't been pitched at least once somebody rolls in and says oh no 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 here's this guy who what how incredible that that is my hope is just to keep discovering awesome new shit that's my hope and uh yeah i think that's a perfect segue into talking about who's tweeting who's tweeting who is more importantly, Jenny, who's emailing? Who is emailing? Well, I'll tell you who it is. It's Brianna. Uh, she says, hey, Roach Coach, I just wanted to shoot y'all an email so I could say thanks for being exactly the podcast I needed. Well, I'm definitely familiar with some of the new metal classics. I feel like I missed the boat on a lot of it. Hybrid theory was a huge staple for me. I was 10 when it came out. It's a genre I've wanted to get into, both because I've seen quite a few of these bands live. Fred Durst was once an arm's reach for me, but my arms were too short, and I got to hear Edsel Dope brag about how much more he swore at a festival than anyone else. And I've really enjoyed most, if not all of them, and my interest in new metal has also been heightened as I get more and more into the new batch of new metal. Cane Hill being a huge one for me, so I was very excited about that episode. 
but I've never really known where to start when it came to going through all these bands and albums, so thank you for giving me the best stepping stone possible. I also wanted to give a couple recommendations. I've been hopping around your episodes, so if they've already been suggested, sorry. Uh, the first is Breaking Point by Afterlife. I was first exposed to these guys when I saw them open up for Kane Hill, and they're in a similar vein. The album came out in January of last year, so it's easily the best new metal album of 2019 in my opinion. There's so many tropes of the genre in it. One of my favorite songs on it, PSA, is a song for the haters, and the album ends with a song called Broken Home. And they shared a video, the biggest single. Uh, the second one is I Let It In and Took Everything by Loathe. This came out this year, so 2020 is clearly a very real thing. This album is less straightforward new metal than the Afterlife album, but they are Deftones inspired, Deftones approved. Thanks again for the music recommendations and laughter. Road Rider for Life, Brianna Wolf. Thank you. That was thank a very you. nice email. Yeah, thank you, Brianna. That was very great. And once again, Afterlife, never been recommended to us. So there you go. Another new one for the long list. Matt, were you able to pull up this song, PSA? I'm looking right now. Okay. Um, I know we did. Loathe was recommended to us before, and I have listened to that album, and it rules. We may have actually played a track on the on the show. Now that I think about it. I found it, and I'm going to play PSA featuring uh, Ryo Konishida. I fucked that up so hard. that sounds very very new and again fuck the haters you know dude haters take heed you know what are there any haters left after that song plays i think they're done i think they're over with you know what i am i'm goddamn delighted that was, oh, you know what? That's a promise. Promise made, promise kept with that fucker. PSA, yes. <laughs> we heard it. Wow. Thank you, Brianna, for that. And those bad boys to the long list. Absolutely. Uh, we also got an email from Steve. said, what's the story with Flint, Michigan band King810? Sounds extremely new to me, smiley face. And he included a link to a video. I believe that King810 um, was recommended to us way back in the day, way back when this show was just getting its sea legs. And I think we listened to a song off air and we were so afraid of the video that we were like, I don't know. <laughs> like it was. And then I, uh, I actually did watch a couple or a couple clips of some stuff. Can confirm. New Metal AF, but the amount of assault weapons these guys have on stage while performing, daunting. Yeah, I I recently received uh, somebody, a friend of mine, uh, recently 
like started listening to the show and um they were telling me about this band and they they suggested that the uh assault weapons on stage is a pose and something that was kind of pushed by management that that backfired for their success so Mm. i don't know maybe the time to do it is now when everybody has to stay inside it's true. It's you know true. their proximity to <laughs> yeah, where we live. This is maybe, maybe now better than ever. Maybe. All right. Well, we'll consider King Eight One Zero. Um, we have another email, Jenny. We sure do. A new, new recommendation. Hey guys, just before this whole global pandemic happened, I went and saw Every Time I Die play one of my favorite albums front to back. One of the openers was a band I'd never heard of from Kentucky, if I remember correctly, called Guerrilla Warfare. They do hardcore mixed with new metal rap rock kind of thing. It reminded me a lot of Biohazard. I definitely recommend checking them out. That's from Austin. Thank you very much, Austin. Uh, so Guerrilla Warfare, I once again, another one, never heard of them. Here we are, episode 200, and we're just getting hit with these ones we've never heard of still. I listened to a track, I don't remember what it was called, but it was pretty new AF. Matt, were you able to pull up any Guerrilla Warfare? Yep, I've got their latest album and a, a track off of it called Run It Back. Here we go. Okay, here we go. To paraphrase, to paraphrase one Renee Zellweger, you had me at fuck it up. Fuck it up. Um, Uh, At this point, that is a hot open. (laughs) That is, that is a very hot open. Was that, is that the first song on the album or on the EP or? Uh, The name of the album is uh, Consume. That is track three, the coveted single spot. Wow. Oh boy. All right. I mean, if you're going to say fuck it up like that and then drop that riff and then go into that rapping, we got to put you on the long list. So, Guerrilla Warfare, you're going on the long list. Consider it done. And uh, we have one more email. Uh, It's a subject. I have another recommendation. The French band Playmo, specifically their 1999 debut, Kekapasse. I'm saying that right. Uh, I think I recommended them to you guys a few years ago on Reddit. Not sure if anyone has recommended them since. It's a very aggressive album released on Epic Records that needs to be covered sooner rather than later. Oh, I like the tone of that. It is ripe with chunky downtune riffs, has an eerie, very new metal atmosphere similar to Korn's Life is Peachy or self-titled debut, as well as a vocalist who recalls Fred Durst circa 1997. Oh, and the entire album is sung in French, something which would be interesting unto itself. Don't think you've ever had any French boys on the show before. Regards, Joseph. Thank you, Joseph. No French boys. No French boys here so far, but I'll tell you what. 
I took high school French, so I'm ready. Ooh. <laughs> I'm ready to translate. So let's and see uh, that. I'll be with you there, Jenny. I also took French in high school. I got a D, so I will <laughs> still be looking to you for that All right. one. Yeah, I got I'm gonna, a D. This is my, my chance to shine. I'm really going to use it. Yeah, so um, I actually did check the long list after we got this email, and Playmo was on it. So I must have added it after the initial suggestion on Reddit, but it just had sort of been languishing there along with whatever other albums people are always wanting us to do um it's saying, so yeah zoot zoot <laughs> that's french that's french <laughs> is that is that french for activate the pet uh i actually don't remember what that means at all except that people say it when they're frustrated <laughs> mm. so maybe maybe um all right well those are some great recommendations and great emails. Keep them coming. Send those emails over to roachcoachpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your recs of bands you think we've never heard of. Maybe. You know what? Give us that push. Get that push going. There's somebody that we haven't done yet. And you're like, you guys, it's time. Send them over. Let's check them out. We also got to talk about some feedback, Jenny, that we got for our magnum opus three-hour limp biscuit results may vary episode Whoa. we sure do yeah oh i know i remember very very clearly uh garrett fuller says i think this is my new favorite episode high praise thank, thank you, you garrett thank you garrett uh nick fenton says has anyone checked on brad hicks i know he hated long episodes and seeing this download <laughs> onto his phone might have killed him I can confirm Brad Hicks alive and well with his family at this time. He's doing okay. He's doing okay. But thank you for thinking of Brad uh, whenever we drop an extra long one. Appreciate it. All right. Scott Bowling says, probably my favorite Roach Coach app. Marco says, I agree with you. One of the best. Josh Toomey hops in, says, I agree. I'm just going to keep reading. People say we're the best. We're going to be all gassed up when we're done recording. (laughs) Uh, Josh Toomey also said that he's horny for this app. (laughs) Matt, you rolled in and said, whoa, on the main. And Josh said, all over the main. Whoa. (laughs) All right. Uh, Austin Liebold says, I'm on day 47 of listening. (laughs) It sounds like he's trapped somewhere. (laughs) Well, he is now. Yeah, he is now. That's true. Jeez, Austin, if you're all right. Uh, Okay, I'll start over. Austin says, I'm on day 47 of listening and just about finished, but I think the biggest takeaway is that LB could definitely benefit from trimming the fat. All of their albums push the limitations of a CD, and that's before you even get into all the bonus tracks and separate editions. I haven't watched the making of yet, but as far, but for as long as the album is, it definitely feels unfinished. Whether it was because they thought Wes was coming back halfway through writing, Fred thought they'd be more successful doing something closer to Stained than what they were known for. I think by the time this album had come out, Limp were already uncool, and Fred wanted to prove that Wes wasn't the reason people liked the band. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're onto it. Jake Leach said, the greatest Roach Coach episode ever? Hmm? I was in a band around 2013, and the drummer shared my love of Limp Bizkit. She and I would blast Eat You Alive and just fall out laughing. Thanks for making my day with this one, y'all. And Tori Ray said, I second this. This episode is my favorite, too. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, Laura. Tori. Thank you. 
Thank you. Uh, the new metal advisory board says I have to go against the grain here and admit that I love this incredibly underrated album. I think I'm fortunate that I was in the wrong place, wrong time when the MTV documentary came out as a young kid in rural Australia. I didn't have access to that sort of thing. Although in saying that, I did have the special edition of this album, which came with the Poop DVD. So the album isn't riddled with memories of frustration for a late released album and a ridiculous antics of Red Cap. Come on, Fred, I love you to bits, but I just can't palm off being a douche on your hat and get away with it. I definitely wouldn't go as far as saying it's the album they had to make, but it's definitely the only album they could make without Wes in the mix. All in all, it's still in heavy rotation, and I have a lot of awesome memories of this album. Love the episode as always. Roach Rider for life. Thank nice. you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Elric said, I looked up the Christian Slater connection, and he was attacked by his wife at a biscuit show later that year, WTF. Wow. 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 Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, if it's going to happen anywhere. Yeah, that's why true. Why not? God. Mm-hmm. To be at a Limp Bizkit show and see Christian Slater get attacked by his wife. <laughs> what a formative experience. That's some next level shit. I hope I dream of that tonight. Uh, <laughs> all right. Trevor Reynolds says, Thank, thanks for reminding me what a flaming pile of shit this record was. Three hours of my life I'll never get back. <laughs> Trevor, you're not wrong. And if you keep on here, like listening to this, you might sacrifice a couple more, baby. Get fucking ready, bro. Oh, man, get ready. Um, Jimmy Jensen said, that was one exhausting episode, haha, but it had to be just like this album is exhausting. Thanks for going over it, Roach Coach, and thanks for your gigantic effort and dedication in mapping out the new metal canon. Albums like this must take its toll on you guys and gal. They do. We keep persevering because we know that there are more chunky riffs and activated pits. And as we just heard with Guerrilla Warfare, there's somebody's going to drop a hot riff and someone's going to yell, fuck it up. And that's, that's why right. we keep coming back. So you get your duds and then you just rally again because you know something hot's going to happen. Yeah. Thank you, Jimmy. You get your yeah. duds and you get your nugs. Get those nuggets <laughs> ready. We're having oh, dinner. Yeah. That's it. That's it, Matt. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the inside of 200 episodes. <laughs> That's right. You get your duds and you get your nugs. <laughs> That's right. All right. Jax Lawson. Uh, friend, watch this show. It's really good. Friend two, read this book. I think you'll love it. Friend three, play this game. It's great. Me. Yeah, I'll definitely check those out if I get time. Also me. Listens to a three-hour podcast about an album I've never heard by a band I'm not that into. <laughs> A plus as always, Jax. Uh, thank you, Jax. And uh, finally, Ronnie Neely says, I've been meaning to comment for the past few months, and I always forget, but this is an app I have to comment on, as this album was a favorite when I was a kid. I asked for results may vary for Christmas specifically for that song. I believe this would have been my first album ever. Wow. Whoa. Luckily, my mom obliged under the condition I never repeat anything said on the CD. I love it. I love your mother. I love her for saying this. This is like when my dad showed me Die Hard for the first time when I was like eight. And he said, we don't talk like this in this house. And then he showed me the movie where 
<laughs> they swear a whole bunch. This podcast is all about sharing our embarrassing stories of growing up, so here's mine. When I was nine, I remember making up a cringy dance routine with my six-year-old sister to red light, green light. <laughs> this is yes! what your podcast does. <laughs> Dredges up these awful, embarrassing memories. Ronnie, we'd love to see video if you've got it. Love to see vid of this dance routine to red light, green light. Uh, listening back to the album for the first time since I was a kid, I'm surprised how many slow boys are on this one. Totally spot on saying it's basically Fred's solo album. Anyways, I'm not proud to admit that I totally fell for Lauren's first mention of Behind Blue Eyes played at Matt's wedding. I figured maybe his wife really liked the song or something, but as Lauren kept mentioning it being played during every event at the wedding, I slowly but surely caught on. Had a good laugh at Lauren's amazing jokes, Matt playing it straight, and my own stupidity for not realizing instantly it was a joke. Not my proudest moment. A-plus episode, you guys keep getting better and better. Thank you for everything you do. Ronnie, thank you. Thank you. And that is it for who's tweeting. Keep on saying hello online. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Roach Coach and all those. Roll into the DMs. We got a bunch of DMs I didn't even get to for this app. That we got we got so much stuff. People have been sending us stuff. Keep sending it. I, we love to hear from you. We love to hear your recommendations. As always, send an email as well to roachcoachpodcast at gmail.com. Episode 200, you guys. Let's crack this baby wide open. Let's talk about it. We're talking about sane anger. Stanger by Metallica. Jenny, when did this bad boy come out? Uh, this bad boy was released on June 5th, 2003. That's a come down. That's a come down. Definitely. Jenny, let's start with you. I want to know your history. Let's do it. History with Metallica. History with Stanger. Well, my history with Metallica, obviously... I was aware of Metallica. Um, I didn't get into the earlier Metallica albums until I was much, much older. Uh, it was just something that I didn't, I never, I just never got into it. When I was younger, um, Enter Sandman was a huge song. I remember being at like middle school activity nights with my friend we had banged to it until like our necks hurt we were like oh yeah we're cool we like rock music uh this is sad uh somebody who was uh distantly related to my neighbor uh wound up committing suicide and left a metallica lyric in a note so my mom caught wind of that and i was very banned from listening to metallica (laughs) i was like mom uh i agree that's very sad but i'm fine and i'd like to listen to metallica this is when that like the memory remains song came out Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so metallica was pretty much banned from my house later i wound up listening to some of the earlier metallica records and really enjoying them but it wasn't like a big part of my uh, upbringing or anything like that um, St. Anger specifically, it was a, a used bin staple and the butt of so many jokes for a very long time. Lauren, you have the digipack. And when you uh, showed that to Matt and I, I have rarely felt transported back to the used bin at record time more than seeing that. Like I, That thing was always in there. And uh, I think that pretty much covers it. Uh, I don't have like a a super deep Metallica backstory or anything like that. That that is uh that's about it. How about you? 
So Metallica was a band that I honestly discovered the same way you did, Jenny. They um they didn't have dances at my middle school. They had fun fests. So it was the fun fest, the fall fun fest, the spring fun fest, and then just various fun fest dabbled through. And when I went to the sixth grade fun fest, they played Enter Sandman, and we all stood by the strobe light, and we head banged. And then the next day, we had gym class, we had to do sit-ups, and I cried like a baby. <laughs> because I could not move my neck. And uh, so that was like my first awareness of Metallica was hearing Enter Sandman and thinking, this is dope AF. Very cool. Um, And then, but I never bought the CD and I would hear songs on the radio, The Unforgiven, Sad But True, heard all those singles. I'm like, this is pretty hot. That's pretty cool. Um, But never picked the album up. And because I think at that point I was getting into Nirvana and it was very clear to me that Metallica was in a way like the old guard and Nirvana was like for me and Metallica was, you know, cause then when I, I think I, I was sort of aware of their older stuff and seeing like the album covers, it had that sort of eighties hair metal sheen that I already was like having nothing to do with, even though that's not what those records sound like at all. Um, it just wasn't anything. And I know for a while I definitely thought <laughs> this is going to sound so bad, but I definitely thought like, all metal bands were basically Metallica, like in both sound and image and everything. Cause I remember going to Cedar point and there was a guy in line in front of me wearing a Megadeth. I want to say euthanasia shirt. And, uh, I basically thought it was the same thing. And, uh, then later found out, no, 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 these two different, there's many bands in the metal genre, not just Metallica. So yeah, so it was always sort of like at arm's length, like just being aware of singles. Uh, I remember the hubbub when Load came out that they cut their hair. Very aware of that. I remember our local radio station that we all grew up with, 89X. Uh, was was it a rumor or was it a fact that they had a strict no Metallica policy? Do we do we remember? Was that a rumor? Or was I that think a fact? that was a rumor. Okay. And so yeah, so I, I was aware of it in that capacity um, when this record came out. I uh, it was the summer of 2003, as we said, best summer of my life. I was aware of the anticipation for this record. I was also aware that the reviews were very lopsided, which we will get to. We'll get to these reviews. But there was, uh, there was some praise, and there was some heavy, hardcore panning going on. And since then, I've, I've, uh, I have listened to a good chunk of these albums at least once. And I think of all of them, the one I liked the most was kill them all. That one seemed to be uh, the one that really got to me the most. I, I'm not a lot of these instrumentals. I'm not really here for, I'm just here for the rocking. And I did listen to hardwired to self-destruct the most recent one. I did listen to that. And I remember that I like the short songs better than the long songs on that one. That's my hot take. Well, um, you sound so, like me. Yeah. And uh, Matt, Metallica history, Stanger history. Here we go. Sixth grade, Chrisman Elementary. Jason Zock has his boombox for like a Halloween or a like a fun fest type thing. And in that tape player was And Justice for All. And I remember hearing it and being like, this sounds weird because all the bass sounded like whoop, whoop, whoop. And then I uh, found out much later that Cliff Burton, their bassist, had passed away prior to that album. And uh, they really uh, were in a bad way and didn't like the new bassist, Jason Newstead, 
so they didn't really put the bass on there. <laughs> and um, But I didn't know that at the time. My cousins were enormous fans, so I heard Master of Puppet at their house when still like 6th, 7th grade. And then right around, I want to say, 7th, 8th grade is when the Black Album came out, and that was huge. Like, you could not get away from Enter Sandman. And that's right around the same time my cousin was like, the fuck, it's sold out. Bullshit. It's terrible. Um, and my brother finally got into him around that time, but didn't buy the Black Album, bought Kill 'Em All, and was like, listen to this song. And he played Motor Breath for me. And I was like, this I dig. This song rules. Um, but they have never been my band. Uh, they have never been the ones that I'm like, I love them. Um, but I've always had a lot of respect for them. Kind of what you're saying, Lauren, is like because I wasn't a metal kid, um, I've I've kind of was like I stayed away from them much longer than I would now. Now I'd listen to damn near anything just to hear what it was about. But that back then it was like you couldn't get your hands on it unless you bought it. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to. Sorry, guys, I'm not going to buy it when I have this Weird Al record I need. So. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And, then, uh, and then when Stanger came out, I mean, this was not my band at all in 2003. I mean, I was not there at all. I was, I was riding that Strokes, White Stripes, and new indie rock, Radiohead, still, still loving <laughs> that Radiohead, loving that Britpop. Well, well, yeah, summer two thousand three's "Hail to the Thief." Like I remember hyping that album up in my brain. I was like, "Give me that!" And I don't it's know. Okay. It's okay. It's all right. I think it's a yeah mid. I mean, mid level for Radiohead. Anybody else would be tapped here. Um, yeah, I think yeah. Now that I think about it, I'm like, what was I like real hot for summer two thousand three? Besides like Deftone self titled, I think I was playing that third third eye blind album a lot and like fountains of wayne welcome interstate managers great so that's album. My, great oh album. great album oh great album but yeah going, uh, this yeah. this album was kind of a miss i saw the video for saint anger and uh what hit me immediately was the fucking snare on this record mm. man we're gonna we're gonna talk about that snare baby don't you worry we, we don't have a choice we you have to <laughs> it's oppressive you, you you have to talk about it. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, I thought of one other Metallica memory. Yeah. And this is just something that's been grinding my gears for about 15 years. Get it out there, Jenny. When I worked at Record Time, people would give me shit a lot. I think like a, a disproportionate amount of shit because I'm a woman, but you know, it could have been for many reasons, but I'm going with that one. Mm-hmm. This guy came in. And was giving me shit because he was like, how are you a record store and you don't even have Metallica? You don't have any Metallica CDs. And he was totally like riding my ass about it. And I was like, what are you talking about? They're right there. And he's like, oh. And I was pointing at the metal section because he was looking at the pop rock section. And I was like, Metallica's a metal band. And he's like, I don't know what Metallica is. And he was such an asshole. And every time I see Metallica, I think, fuck that guy. I'm still mad. I like am actively getting pissed thinking about it. And I want to punch him in the face. I don't know if I'll ever let it go. And how appropriate, St. Anger, 
you know? Mm, San Anger. I'm still mad. It's still yeah, mad. Truly. So this record, Jenny, let's talk about it. On this album, who's in Metallica? On this album, we have James Hetfield, a.k.a. Papa Het, on vocals, guitar production, Kirk Hammett on guitar and production, and Lars Ulrich on drums and production. Uh, this, of course, was put together right when Jason Newstead decided to leave the band. Uh, and so Bob Rock played bass uh, for the majority of this album. I think actually the whole thing. Indeed. And Bob Rock also produced the record, along with the rest of the band. I uh, looked up Bob Rock, um, who is a a prolific and popular rock producer. And I thought, you know what? A name like Bob Rock, what, what what a cool name to give yourself. No, that's his real name. His real name is Robert Rock. Bob Rock. I was blown away. Could not believe it. Also, Canadian. Also did not know that. Wow. Um, yeah. Some of the other records that he worked on, he, he produced the Black Album. He produced uh, both Load and Reload. And um, this was actually the last album that he produced for the band. But he's worked with a lot of other bands. Um, not really anybody else that we've done on the show. Uh, he's got a, he did a Veruca Salt, Eight Arms to Hold You. Did that record. He produced some Motley Crue stuff. He produced the first American Hi-Fi album, which, uh, that's a fun record. It's a fun record. And uh, I also worked with Our Lady Peace, and he also worked with your favorite, Jenny, Tonic. You know I love Tonic. <laughs> you you love, tonic. love Tonic. You love Tonic. You uh, know what? So, I don't yeah. mind Tonic. <laughs> They're fine. You're they joking, there. but you know what? <laughs> they did enough. They did they, enough for me. There you go. There you go. This was, I, I should mention, this album was a big thrift. Uh, it was? It, it yeah, was. Not a shock. I picked this up from the Declutter store, and I want to mention, I got the Digipack with the bonus DVD of rehearsals, which I will be frank with you, I did not watch, <laughs> for a sweet $3.91. The, this album art, let's talk about the album art real quick. It's a clenched fist red clenched fist with action lines around it and it appears that the wrist is bound by some sort of um rope or wire and does this just remind you of the um of that meme uh mm-hmm. from the uh oh why am i blanking on it the aardvark arthur the glass. arthur meme yes <laughs> like just that's all this reminds me of now and um and then when you open it up, you've got a, a couple bits of uh, just uh, very metal art. So we have what looks to be a uh, restrained um, angel of some kind that's all tied up, looking very upset, screaming at the sky. Um, you also have a very ugly creature with weird teeth and, and like a skeleton face. And it looks like the fist... Oh, I didn't even notice this. The fist on the cover is actually... A necklace that it is wearing around its neck. There you go. I assume this may be the titular Saint Anger. Oh. Um, that just occurred to me. Uh, we have a couple pics of the band walking through what looks to be some sort of loading dock or industrial site. You know, not, not you know what, not too bad. Not too bad with these, uh, this uh, album art. All it's... the lyrics, click, 
I'm sorry, Jenny, go ahead. Oh, no, so the artwork is all done by Pusshead. So. Oh, great. Thank so, you, Pusshead. Thank you, Pusshead. Um, but yeah, uh, very easy to read all the lyrics. I appreciate that. All the lyrics are in here. Um, we get a little bit of scrawled drawings and James Hetfield's original handwriting, which I can confirm because we watched that doc. We're going to talk about this doc, you guys. And yeah, he does indeed write this way. We should also mention, though, he is not on the record. They do recruit a new bassist after this record is recorded, and he's been with the band since, and I apparently have been mispronouncing his name. So, Jenny, if you want to say how his name is supposed to be said. Uh, Robert Trulio? There it is. I have. I, I know the last time I said it, you you both were like, sure, Lauren. And so I was like, I'm clearly saying it wrong. So, Robert Trulio. So he is not, uh, not does not play on the album, but um, joined the band. He's in all the album art. And uh, welcome, Robert. You've now been in the band like 17 years. So that's the album art. Jenny. God, that's crazy. Yeah, he's been in the band 17 years. <laughs> 17 years. Like, welcome for the last 17 years of your life. I mean, maybe he's actually been in the band longer than Newstead was in the band. Yes. Good work if you can get it. And clearly, good work. Seems uh, like a pretty sweet yeah. deal. Indeed. We're going to in, get all into it because it's all in the dock. Jenny, let's talk about these genre tags. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, the genre tags on this record are alternative metal and new metal. I have to say, and I told you guys this when we were trying to pick a record, is that I, on a lark, checked the wiki for this album and saw that new metal tag. And I do not believe that new metal tag was there two years ago. It was I not. I really don't. It was not. And I'll tell you how I know. Uh, because that was added after uh, on june 17th i'm sorry is that right no um on march 28th 2017 um there was an article written in noisy uh that said that they had been playing with new metal influences and that is what got tagged in this article so i'm thinking that sometime after march 28th 2017 is when that was added all right well there we go really important and riveting context for everybody listening absolutely we should mention also i mean there's a lot of context around this so there was a documentary made uh, about the making of this album called metallica some kind of monster jenny and i both uh we both watched it today. I've actually seen it. This is now my fourth time watching it because I love it. It's amazing. Was it your first time, Jenny? No, it's my second time. But second I, time. Okay. the first time I watched it was right around when it came out, 2003, 2004. It came out in 2004, right? I think so. I believe yeah. it's 2004. Matt, have you seen the doc? No, I have no, not seen no. the doc. Okay. So um, we're so prepared. <laughs> we are mega prepared. Let's see, what else do we want to mention about this? This album also came out as Metallica was attacking Napster at the time, suing Napster in court. So their public profile was not the highest as people were mad. And uh, But it did debut at number one in 14 countries, including the United States. And the lead single, St. Anger, won a Grammy for Best Metal Performance. And uh, the album was uh, certified double platinum in America and sold 6 million copies worldwide. Although I do believe it is one of the lowest selling Metallica albums. But I feel like that 
actually might be partially due to just um, market forces and just the way that thing. I mean, I don't think anybody was really. I mean, double platinum for a metal album in two thousand three, still pretty good work. Um, I did look at um, who they beat for the Grammy, um, which we know the Grammys. Oh, the Grammys. Am I right, you guys? You're right. Yeah. So in 2004, they were up against Korn for Did My Time, Marilyn Manson for Mob Scene, Spine Shank for Smothered, and Stone Sour for Inhale. I think we can all agree Stone Jesus. Sour robbed. Ugh, that is a fucking barf bucket of a category right there. That sucks. I'll say it. I've been in my house for weeks. That fucking sucks. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think part of that Metallica when they, um, I, I did a little um, looking into the. Basically, they um, uh, famously created a hard rock metal performance or instrumental category at the Grammys, and then the first person to win it was Jethro Tull. So then they got a lot of blowback on that, as they should have. So then they re. Re reworked some things, created best metal performance category, and then when they created that, Metallica won the first three years in a row. They won for the song One, then they won for a song called Stone Cold Crazy, and then they won for the Black Album itself, which apparently the category for one year decided to be for albums instead of songs. Uh, classic Grammy move. So, And that year, they beat Bad Motorfinger and Megadeth. And Anthrax and Motorhead. That was pretty stacked. That's pretty stacked. I think you'd admit, Jenny. I can admit that, yeah. So, yeah. So, that's the Grammy talk there. Critically. Critically, this record took took a beating. But also got some wild praise. Rolling Stone magazine gave this motherfucker four stars. What? Four stars. If you read this review, which I want to tell you, do not read this review and then go operate heavy machinery because you will not know what to touch to move the unit because it's crazy. This review is nuts, especially if you heard the album. They, uh, I'll just read the, the excerpt from the wiki. The writer was Barry Walter. He said, no wonder there's an authenticity to St. Anger's Fury that none of the band's rap metal followers can touch. He also went further to note the lack of commercial influence in modern modern rock aspects of previous albums continuing. There's no radio-sized four-minute rock here, no pop-friendly choruses, no ballads, no solos, no wayward experimentation. You know what? I can disagree with this album while also agreeing 100% with that statement. That's all facts right there. Um, On the other end, Pitchfork Magazine, Pitchfork the website, I don't know why I said magazine, Pitchfork gave this record a 0.8 out of 10. Wow. Classic pitchfork. The record is also, uh, the review, I should say, is also written in a classic um, early 2000s theme style. So it's written from the point of view of someone working in slave labor, creating a Metallica CD for consumption, and then stealing the CD off of a downed truck that was shipping it, and then listening to it with the other slave laborers and realizing how bad it sounds. It is also a trip. I also do not recommend operating heavy machinery after reading that review. Yeah, really, this album kind of broke some critical brains. Uh, I do want to mention that this Wikipedia has really compiled a lot of positive ones. Apparently, Enemy gave this record a 9 out of 10, and Spin gave it an 8 out of 10, and Uncut 
gave it a four out of five. So there were some people going to bat for this record. The Encyclopedia of Popular Music, though, two out of five. There we go. No, no fan there. That is, I think, all the stuff uh, we need to know about this record. I think we are ready to dive in. I agree. All right. The first track, Unsane Anger, is Frantic. On, Matt, we got to get to one more my part. Style there it is. Determines my death style. My lifestyle determines my death style. Uh. Hold on, stay with it for just another minute or so. This search goes on. This search goes on. Keep searching. I just wanted you to hear the TikTok, Matt. A wild ride, to be sure. Oh, yeah. And don't worry. There's another four and a half minutes of that song left. I'm going to start right there. Why are Metallica songs so long? Do we know? Do we know why they're so long? Because as far as I can tell, on just about every song, you know, I'm not going to say just about. I don't know why I'm I'm putting that caveat in there. On every song on this album, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's let's just do it. Every song is done two and a half to three minutes in. And then they just do it again. They just play the whole song again. They don't variate it. There isn't something new added in. There's no solos. Poor Kirk Hammett. He wanted it. He wanted it. He wanted those solos in. They voted him down. And so you just get this. They just loop it. They just do the same song again and make the songs five, six, seven, eight minutes long. Eight minutes long. We'll get there. We'll get to that eight-minute song. So I, I, I don't know. I guess it's a rhetorical question unless any of you know why these songs are so – like Metallica songs in general are so long. Because I looked up, and I, I guess they're always long. So 
Yeah. I'm going to defer to my lack of knowledge and say, because aren't metal songs long? Like traditional, like, I don't know, Sabbath songs weren't short. Iron Maiden songs aren't short. I don't know. I, I always think of that. I mean, guys, I'm not the guy to ask. Yeah, I mean, it, it very much depends on the genre of metal that you're listening to. But I think uh, I, I think it very much depends on the genre. I guess with like Metallica songs, oftentimes you are making room for those solos. And just like general, like, I mean, I think Kirk Hammett was being like privately tutored by Joe Satriani, like for like a lot of the time that they, I don't know. Uh, I read that, but like there's generally, I think if they're longer it's because there's a lot more like virtuoso noodling going on or like making room for the, I don't know, lots of different breakdown solos, things of that nature. I will not criticize any band or artist for doing something for longer than they need to, because God knows (laughs) we have a long podcast. But these songs for sure don't need to be this long. This song fucked me up. Like, (laughs) I, I thought that I'd listen to this record. I don't know if I ever have. Because none of it sounded familiar to me. None of it sounded familiar. And I have been running around my neighborhood quite a bit just to get some exercise. And so I was listening to this while I was running around. And I was just laughing as I was running. When he started, when I heard my lifestyle determines my death style, I almost threw my phone across the street. (laughs) When we got to frantic, tick, 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 tock, I just started hysterically laughing. And I had to stop running because I couldn't breathe. I was like, what? I don't know what's going on here. It's a real trip. And to watch the documentary, which I once again have to recommend the doc, as much as I dislike this record, spoiler alert, the doc, I love. I've watched it for the fourth time today. I know it is not the last time I will watch that doc. I will probably watch that doc again. When my son is older, I'll be like, you got to watch this Metallica doc. It doesn't matter. You don't have any context. You don't need it. Just watch these guys go. And when he is recording the vocal for this song and his voice gets higher, they all lose their shit in the studio. Bob Rock's like, whoa, oh, dude. Like, they're, like, hyped. And I want to know how much of that is fatigue because this record took forever to make. And it really did hit me on this viewing of the of the documentary that maybe this album just ended up getting released because they had to put something out and they couldn't scrap anything or anything else. And so that was that. But yeah, I don't know. At the same time I wrote, this might be the most memorable song in the album just because of the lifestyle death style line. Um, probably my favorite little line on the, on the album. Um, I feel like I've always, I feel like I've had lifestyle equals my death style just always hanging around on my back of my head as just like good advice. Those drums, what a choice. What a choice. What a choice. What a choice to make your drums sound bad. They do not talk about the drum sound at all in the dock though. Very interesting. They talk about a lot of other stuff. They talk about no solos. They talk about the vocals. They talk about the lyrics. Talk about creating, but they do not talk about that choice on these drums. 
they don't talk about the choice, but there was one part of the documentary where they're all trying to like, if you haven't seen the documentary, a lot of it is all of them trying to figure out their interpersonal issues with the help of a therapist and a performance enhancement coach. Uh, <laughs> what his title is. But there's a point that they're all talking and, and James and Lars are at each other. And James says, I'm just used to a drummer providing a beat <laughs> and they're arguing over whether or not uh some riff that kirk hammett is playing is too stock and lars would say i'm sorry i'm trying to make it interesting but what he was playing was i'm not a drummer but i was like i don't even think that this is like some sort of like uh interesting choice it just sounds terrible um <laughs> yeah so I, maybe not, i'm yeah. wrong but holy shit i based on everything i've ever heard or read about this album i'm gonna go ahead and say i was right yeah and it was interesting also to have them sort of talk about not wanting to follow certain trends and not do these things and yet at the same time they decide they're not going to put a so, any solos on the record and Kirk Hammett, who is, I don't know, based on the documentary, too pure for this world, the world's nicest person, they, they will be literally, there's a scene in this doc, Matt, where they're talking, it seems like it's a civil conversation. It's the band, I think the therapist is there, Bob Rock, always there, Bob Rock, always around. And Lars is pacing, and they go, what are you thinking? And he's like... I went for a run today and I was like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> That's a bad start to this anecdote. I went for a run today and all I had in my head was just the word fuck. I just wanted to yell it. I just wanted to scream it. And they're like, okay, well then say it, dude, just say it. And he just starts saying fuck. And then he walks over to James Hetfield and screams fuck in his face. And James Hetfield just sits there. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. No wonder Newstead quit this band. <laughs> and um and then through all this, Kirk Hammett is literally just always like, you guys, like, let's just can we just not do this? Like, I think that's him in almost every scene. Would you agree, Jenny? Oh yeah. He's always just like, I I think I think we could just let's just do let's just get in the studio and do it. And they they yep. don't care what he says they don't at one point he says i'm very comfortable with my role in the band (laughs) and that's just to collect money and and shred and shred go hang out with joe satriani just shred collect money let lars and james eat each other alive i took some notes on the um documentary and they're not helpful in any way but i did write lars is a wiener um, and it was during that scene because he was complaining that they had rules. And he said, this is a rock and roll album. I don't want rules. And I was like, go to bed. You're almost 50 Like when you're doing this. like, um, uh, Yeah. Well, it is funny because it is, it is a record. I, I realized I, I, I looked it up and they were all about to or turning 40 when they made this record. Oh, 40. And, Excuse yeah, me. It's okay. And so we get to see little bits of what they all do in their free time. And Hetfield likes to drive around in fast vehicles. 
be it roadsters and motorcycles. That's his deal. And Kirk Hammett get this wonderful scene where he's like, this is my two year anniversary of surfing. I love to surf. I love to be out on the water. You can't surf hungover. At least I can't since I haven't been drinking. Cause I just like to get out in them waves. And then Lars, Lars is besides fighting Napster is collecting art and being an, an art connoisseur, which then culminates in him selling all of his art for millions of dollars at the end. And um, I got to say, that was a real, especially given the world now, it was really something to watch Lars fret and go through what looked to be some sort of like existential crisis about selling this art for millions of dollars that he literally kept walking up to in the gallery after he'd sold it to like look at it one last time to then walk away. What did you think of those scenes, Jenny? Uh, I'm going to refer back to my notes and say Lars is a wiener. <laughs> um, he's clearly fucked up out of his mind. Like if you watch this documentary through the lens of like, is Lars doing a ton of cocaine? A lot of things start to click into place and you're like, Oh yeah. Yep. That's there what that it is. is. He was fucked up out of his mind when he was doing that. I could not believe how much money he sold that stuff for. And then he just like drops a glass of champagne on the ground. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's yep. a mess. It's a mess. Yeah. He's also the only person who doesn't show up to basically work um, dressed. Um, Hetfield, Hammett, Bob Rock, they all show up wearing maybe jeans or something, but I mean, they're wearing like clothes to work and there are scene after scene of Lars in no, no shocks, no shoes. Um, one point he's at the mixing board in his bathrobe, which incredible. Yeah. All the time, just like literally rolled out of bed, ready to do this, but also always having like the most intense conversations while wearing athleisure. So, um, yeah. Hey, Lars is the king of athleisure, bro. He That's he true. really is. He originated he really is. it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, my uh, my only other notes uh, was that I knew I knew in my heart that going to songmeanings dot com would be a trip. But what I really did not expect, though, was um the level of justification that uh, these Metallica fans are going to go through to convince themselves that this is a good record. The first comment is from Corn Freak 15 who says, this song annoyed me at first, but boy, does it grow on you. I couldn't <laughs> get it out of my head and I really like it. Corn Freak 15, you got some frantic Stockholm syndrome, my friend. It's okay. Get yourself free. Get yourself free. I have yeah. to say, mm-hmm. do I like Frantic? Not really. Mm-hmm. It is, though, mm-hmm. in the context of this record, kind of a hot open. It throws okay. a lot at you. It throws it, a lot at you. We haven't even talked about the song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've talked about the drums. Yeah. We haven't. Yeah. Matt, Matt, what is your what is your feelings on Frantic really hitting you just now? You know, the first wave is like, okay, this is a pretty pretty chuggy riff, pretty 
I, chugging might not even be the right word for it, but it's a pretty straightforward riff. <laughs> it's rocking. Everything's going good. But then it's like at least 45 seconds to a minute before Hetfield comes in. And when he does, he feels so out of pocket on it. Like, it just feels like I'm. he's on another planet. Like, he's not, this is not his speed. But he's going for it. I mean, he is fucking going for it. Um, that snare, I mean, it doesn't have the snap of a snare. It has like the, like the clang of a drum, of like an oil drum. Matt, does it remind you of a barrel? Yeah. Yeah. This album, this album answers the question: What if Clown was the only drummer in Slipknot? <laughs> what would it sound like? And he had a drum set made of nothing but more barrels and just a bunch of very easy to whip around bats. This is what it would sound like. Like, It's like, yeah, it's like Lars saw Clown hitting that barrel and he was like, well, I'm going to hit like 12 barrels. And you know what? More is not better in this case. Yeah, I, I didn't know until very recently that you had to turn on a snare. No yes. idea. I, Sweet Mitchell has amassed uh, a respectable amount of gear. He's mm-hmm. really getting into gear these days. So if anybody wants to start a band, uh, <laughs> you know, we have whatever. Uh, but I was hitting a snare drum and he's like, you have to turn it on. And I was like, you can't fucking trick me. Don't try to trick me. You don't have to turn on the snare. And he's like, you actually have to turn on a snare. I yeah. thought he was trying to like fuck with me <laughs> um but apparently Lars and I are kindred spirits because yeah he forgot to turn on a snare one day and then at the playbacks Lars decided that he really liked it and he says that anybody who criticized it was closed-minded so we've been called out I've been called out look I, I was like I was going to say it sounds like he didn't engage the cable wires the cable strands on the snare which is what makes a snare kind of sound like a snare. Yeah. Yeah. Commenter Evil Lawyer on songmeanings.com said, When I first heard this song, I was like, whoa, that's not the Metallica I've gotten used to. That sentence alone, I there love. You go. I love that. That's not the Metallica I've gotten used to. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Where's that shit I'm used to? You know what? I haven't acclimated myself to this. Uh, it says, it's definitely not a Kill Justice Metallica, and it's not quite a Black Reload Metallica. So what is it? Well, to answer that, we look at Garage Inc., easily the heaviest of the albums released in the 90s. For St. Anger, Metallica reinvented themselves again. They went back to a garage band type feel for this album. Some songs sound kind of shaky here and there, but I, like I've said about their other albums, that is the feel of St. Anger. Raw anger, power, and not much producing by Bob makes for one killer album. As for this song, I don't want to bother with the meaning. Just turn it up and piss the neighbors off. And I got to say, if you got neighbors and you got thin walls, you will definitely piss them off. Absolutely. Because they're going to be like, what's going on with that snare? (laughs) Sounds like the the snare wires aren't engaged. (sighs) Honey, honey, put your ear against the wall. Is that snare sound wrong? Are they listening to Saint Anger again? They didn't turn it on. They didn't oh, wow. turn the snare on. 
All right. Are we... I'm a little nervous, guys. We are You're nervous. Not... We're about to go to song two, but we are already an hour deep into this. We'll hit well, a Matt, clip. We'll hit a we'll, clip. We'll get through it. We'll get through it. There is also, I should mention, Jenny, did you watch any of the music videos? You know what? I got to be honest. I didn't. Okay. All I want to mention about this music video is that it was from the same director, Wayne Isham, who did the video for Enter Sandman. And let me tell you, 91 to 2003, my man's like, I got my tricks. I ain't learning any new ones. I'm using <laughs> the same bits. And you know what? I admire someone who knows their strengths. Um, but you get some incredible mugging from the band in this, including James Hetfield, who is really going for it. If you are like, I need to see James Hetfield go crazy with, with the mugging, this is the video for you. And it has a storyline about a hedonistic chicken delivery driver who causes an accident and flashes back through his destructive life choices. There's a part where he's they show him and he's he's going to bed with a different lady every night and he doesn't know who they are. Mm. He doesn't know who, who they are. Who are these strangers? Tales who are these people? Time. Indeed. Indeed. I was like, make feel a little frantic there, buddy. A little frantic with those sex partners. Think yeah. about it. Think about it. It's a thinker. Yeah. All right. Yeah, let's talk about the second song. Let's do the second song. All right. Up next, we've got the titular track, Saint Anger. Fuck it all, fucking no regrets. It's just, <laughs> oh man, I think this song is. If I had to guess where that new tag came from, 
it's gotta yeah. be this you flush it out this song wow so lead much is going on single this was the lead single and it's so funny is that it's something that it didn't even occur to me like i saw the new metal tag before we you know when we were like okay we're gonna do saint anger and then i'm listening to this song and it starts out kind of hot we get that kick and then it immediately goes into slow down and i went holy fucking shit they did a stained yeah holy shit go back to break the cycle baby this is totally the same type of thing that our boy Aaron was doing. Bro, right now. Bro. I don't know why I'm saying bro so much. Sorry. Say but it. Lauren. Yes. Jenny. Yeah. Get A. Lou on the phone. Get him to cover St. Anger. Oh, God. He, But he could do it. He could do it. He could do it. <laughs> he could do it. He could. I don't uh, know if I want to hear it. No. But I think Lauren is more right than I ever thought about anything in my life. Well, we can get to it. So during this whole Saint Anger era, um, MTV called up Metallica. They said, get Metallica on the phone. And this is in the doc. And I love how they put it in there as if this is how these things go down. But they put it in there for our for our enjoyment, which is the idea that Metallica is all cooped up in HQ, which is where they were finishing the record. The Metallica tree fort. And they said, oh, we got, we got MTV on the phone. They said, oh, okay. Put them on speaker. Yeah, Metallica here. Who we got? It's like, oh, it's MTV. Oh, hey, MTV. It's like, hey, we've decided you guys are MTV icons of the year. We want you to come down come down to the studio we're gonna we're gonna do a party for you and they were like us okay that'd be great do we have to invite jason and they said and this is true they said jason forfeited his rights to be an icon when he quit the band baby and they all went ho ho and they all had a good laugh and indeed jason not invited not invited to the mtv icon holy shit i remember show. this mtv icon show and so, you know what? 150 episodes ago, we would have said, if you know where we can see this, let us know. But now I know. And I went on YouTube and the whole thing's on YouTube. And uh, I had already, you know, sat through this album a bunch of times, watched the documentary. So I uh, did not watch the whole thing, but I skimmed through it. And um, quite a lineup that they got to, uh, to really uh, fed our boys. Isn't this the big reveal of Limp Biscuit with their new guitarist at this um, Icon show? Oh, I thought that was at the WrestleMania. I oh. thought that's when they debuted him. Jenny, I, confirm? Deny? Yes, that's right. It was at uh, a WrestleMania. But uh, they do play this Icon show, right? Or am I thinking about the WrestleMania thing? Okay, so they do. They do play. They do play it. I'm pulling it up now because someone was very kind on youtube to annotate the entire show the lineup was some 41 do a medley of for whom the bell tolls enter sandman and master of puppets and then as the show goes along various people come out they give a little speech about how much metallica means to them yes. this is 
This is 2003, summer 2003, baby. So you've got the heavy hitters. Lisa Marie Presley, Shannon Elizabeth, Jolene Blaylock, and Rob Zombie. At one point, Chester Bennington and Travis Barker come out and give a speech. And let me tell you, if you are any fan of oratory work, you know that Travis Barker can hold a room. Um, Michelle Branch comes out with some U.S. Marines. Jim Brewer comes out at one point. Oh, at, God bless Jim, Jim Brewer. Jim is the only one that's making sense so far. And then at, at one point, this is one of my favorite parts of the show. I did stop at this part to watch it. Um, Ian Robinson, MTV VJ at the time, their resident metalhead, came out with Jillian Barbarari and Metallica fans. And then they went down the line and asked the Metallica fans if they had anything to say to Metallica who were sitting in the audience. And everyone basically was like, thank you. You rock. You're the best. Thank you. And I could tell they trimmed a lot out of this section. I think they let a lot of these people talk. And they just kept cutting to Metallica who were just like rictus grins of like, yeah, okay, thank you. This is great. And then out of that, then um, uh, who else was speaking? Um, Oh, then... Wes Scantlin from Puddle of Mud came out and gave a speech. And then the doozy. Before Metallica performed the closing medley of Hit the Lights, Enter Sandman, Blackened, Creeping Death, and Battery, Sean Penn came out and <laughs> introduced Metallica. Wow. Um, yeah. And then I, I, I skipped over. Yeah. So along with some 41 opening the show, Stained covered Nothing Else Matters. Avril Lavigne covered Fuel. And then in an incredible moment, I texted Jenny about this earlier, Snoop Dogg came out and covered Sad But True in what I can only imagine was not rehearsed. I think they were like, (laughs) can you cover a Metallica song? And he's like, if you got a backing track and you tell me a few of the lyrics, I will make do. And indeed, that is what Snoop Dogg does. He does what he can. Snoop I think at Dog one point, I, I think he did not ta- make rehearsal. Uh, Snoop Dogg did not make rehearsal, but he knew he could trust that audience of Metallica diehards to fill in the blanks where he may be unsure on the lyrics. <laughs> and um, and then Corn did one. I remember that. Yep, Limp Bizkit did Welcome Home Sanitarium. They did fine. Uh, then Metallica play their bit. Then after Metallica do their medley, James Hetfield gives a quick little speech saying, thanks a lot. This is a lot of fun. We're having a blast. You guys are great. And then they played Frantic to close out the show. So that is, and you can watch that whole thing on YouTube. Um, There's two versions. There's one that's a lot of jacked up audio, and then there's the other one. I obviously recommend the one with the not jacked up audio. So St. Anger, going back to this song, why is this song seven minutes and 21 seconds? I'm thinking I'm going to ask this about every song, but seriously, I cannot believe this song is seven minutes and 21 <laughs> seconds. I have no idea how that, how that came to be. The song is done at two thirty one, and they just keep looping it. And um, that's the thing. Like yeah. if they were pressing themselves to do something they've not done before, went back to even kill them all has six, seven minute songs on it. Like, they could have challenged themselves to make a shorter record. That would have been the most interesting. Ch- if they're not going to put guitar solos on it, what the fuck are they doing for seven minutes? Let me tell you, if this record was 
35 to 40 minutes of just two and a half to three minute rippers what i mean i feel like i i feel like just a lot of these songs at cut in half i'd be a lot kinder but the fact that you're just like how many more minutes of san anger do i got ahead of me five minutes come on that happened to me a lot i'd be like well this song's almost over right and i'd pull up my itunes and it would tell me it has to add seven minutes you know six minutes left mind-boggling um, in in the documentary yeah. they did show that when they were filming this video they actually went to san quentin state prison in california uh mm-hmm. and they played to inmates except for people who are on death row but uh James Hetfield addresses them and he's like, oh, okay, yeah, the song's called, I mean, he doesn't say it like, he's a little more convicted. <laughs> yeah. About, yeah, yeah, fuck it, whatever. The song's called Saint Anger. But he says like, oh, you know, I get angry a lot. If I, if I hadn't controlled my anger, I, you know, I might be in here like you. And I was like, don't roast the prisoners. <laughs> but I have something you don't have, prisoners. Yeah, I, I could be. I could be just like you if I didn't control my anger. Boy, oh boy! So I haven't seen the video itself. Uh, How did it turn out, Lauren? Uh, yeah. So the video starts with uh, the band uh, signing in to San Quentin and being told by their officer liaison that San Quentin has a firm no hostage policy. So in the event that they would be taken hostage, they would not negotiate for their release. Um, very metal moment. And then we see the band performing for the inmates in a variety of scenarios in the prison, both on a stage, but also surrounded by them. And uh, but then we see actual inmates intercut with actors portraying the inmates and possibly um, portrayals of the crimes that led to them being in jail. And really, the uh, the length of the song only justifies the length of the video because we then get to see all these vignettes of uh, these criminals and how they ended up where they ended up. Um, so I would actually say like the video it maybe is the preferable way with this song because you at least have the visual of the band performing along with these little um stories of um it's sort of like a orange is you know what orange is the new black before orange is the new black basically there you go yeah um once again songmeanings.com the comments are all about how you just gotta let this shit grow on you bro <laughs> you know you just gotta give it a minute or 12 and there's also someone named ruben who thanks drop two for the lyrics on every single song so drop two whoever very polite thank you um but yeah party punk 101 said finally someone posted the song it is really good even if you don't like it at first it grows on you i can't wait to hear the rest of the album so yeah and then corn freak 15 rolls in and is screaming the album was worth buying. It's awesome. You won't regret it. Trust me. I liked the song the moment I heard it. I was waiting for the song to be posted. The whole CD kicks ass. Relax. Relax. It's okay. All right. Up next, we've got a song called Some Kind of Monster.
weaned. Matt, what you, Matt, are they what, You're about to get... You're about to get fucked up, Matt. You're about to get fucked up by some kind of monster, Matt. Listen, I, I, I'm just going to let you know. The chorus does not happen until three minutes and 45 seconds into the song. <laughs> Should I fast forward? Should I play it? What, what do we do? That's a good question. What do we do? Just in general, you know? <laughs> That's a feeling I have every day. What do we do? We're trapped in our homes. We don't really know what to do. I don't want to hear the rest of this. And then on top of that, we're listening to St. Anger. Jenny, what do we do? Fucking let it play, baby. (laughs) We don't have anywhere to be. Perfect time to listen to St. Anger. (laughs) Let St. Anger keep you warm tonight. Somebody heard songs for the deaf. So, Matt, listen, they're going to list all the parts, all right? Eyes, hands, boots, tongue, ears, face, fist, voice, legs, lips. Yeah. Um, three what? 345. 345? They took time. Listen, when you're building some kind of monster, you got to list all the parts before you say what it is. It's a real lazy river of a song. <laughs> If I may go to my notes, I wrote for this part 345 chorus JFC because I can't believe that's how long it took to get to the chorus. My listens, I listened to this album before I watched, I rewatched the documentary and I was like, what's going on here? There's so many weird choices. And then I also felt like some kind of monster felt very, I think it's something we talk about a lot on the show. First choice, best choice, like, like, like. I mean, not even temp, but like, like some kind of monster. Sure, put that in until we think of a yeah, specific placeholder. Kind of placeholder. Yeah. Then in the movie, you see them come up with all of this. And Jenny, do you do you want to recount this part? Yeah. So James is describing these types of lyric these these lyrics to Bob Rock. And he says, it's, yeah, like, what is it? Come on, yes, keep, like, say what it is. What is it? What is it? And he goes, it's some kind of monster. He goes, there it is, some kind of monster. And then they wrote it 
yeah I, my god yeah yeah They're and like, it was also it's great yeah, some kind of this, monster that's great this was also group effort lyrics if i recall correctly they were passing the paper around and everybody was writing a little bit because then at one point somebody says something is like what did you write here and he's like oh i wrote that and he's like oh, okay and then i think at one point james is like what am i talking about and then they that's what leads to the conversation of like what is this thing you mean like some kind of monster like a frankenstein and uh but they just stick with some kind of monster and uh what a trip it was to watch these boys put it together um (laughs) apparently they had a rule where none of them could comment like no lars couldn't comment on james's lyrics james couldn't comment on Lars's drum playing. Nobody could comment on ever on anything, and this album was the first time those like stipulations or boundaries were lifted. And this is what happens. And I couldn't help but think, you had the rule for a reason, <laughs> right? Well, it, it's funny because they they um they bring up this uh, they bring this up that like oh we're throwing those rules out the window, and Bob Rock is like, wait, oh what? that's you're gonna do what on this record and then he says like because i remember what it was like making the black album and then thank god for that footage they then immediately cut to them making the black album and hetfield being like you don't like how it sounds come over here and fucking sing it motherfucker and you're like "Ooh, the black album was fraught but you look at how the black album turned out and you're like Maybe those rules were good rules. So, yeah, I don't know. This one, um, yeah, the guitar melody, I wrote sure, I guess. But this already, we're three tracks in, and it, it feels it feels like there's no gas in the tank on this one. And the whole album seems to be about James Hetfield's issues with addiction. He went to rehab in the middle of making the record, and it seems to have colored all of the aspects of what they were doing here but i you know i can't attest to what the other records were about but i feel like they weren't as specific and personal because i feel like that that wasn't i mean i feel like they were just more i mean a song like enter sandman which is i mean if you were to think about it it's kind of corny but it doesn't matter because they work it and they sell it and i once again maybe this is a, a, a playing into the era the new metal era where everyone's getting, you know, Jonathan Davis is over there ripping his fucking heart out and putting it on a plate and saying, this is my shit. This is what I'm going through. Maybe that's the thought. We got to be real and raw. We got to throw it, throw it down there. But the problem they're running into is, well, James Hetfield certainly is, you know, dealing with real addiction problems. He's still like a super rich guy, you know? And then you watch the doc where he's literally like, yeah, I'm trying to get things together so I can, you know, keep my family together and not get divorced and everything. And, you know they're all having like a midlife crisis it's like that's not necessarily the oomph needed for a hot metal record maybe just saying possibly but this song strikes me so much more of a stoner rock song and hetfield's voice doesn't work for it like he is not mark lanigan like no he is not that will never no one will make that mistake <laughs> no one will make that mistake but like seriously i'm, I'm not there are plenty of Metallica songs and albums I like. 
you know, but we're talking about Stanger here. His voice isn't the best instrument for what that band is laying down. And every time it comes in, I'm laughing. And I shouldn't be doing that when your vocalist comes in two and a half minutes into the song. This song especially, I don't think suits him. And in the documentary, they show them like coaching him on how to deliver these lines. And he they're coaching him to be this corny. And I can't even imagine what it would feel like to be a, a very like old school Metallica fan and hear this song coming oh right off God. the heel of heels of new metal the, it makes so much sense to me why somebody would say this like because i i hear like the stoner rock like you said matt i also hear a lot of new in here mm-hmm. yeah the guitar is very chuggy and yeah it's just um but at the same time it has no it has no menace to it but it also made me think about like the criticism that the band took for songs like fuel and that whole like give me fuel give me fire give me that which i desire you know like that that still has this pep to it and that's sort of what i mean even for all of their more um i don't know what the word is but the songs like one they're a little bit more of a moody boy you know they're still sort of evoking the the thrash era you know and this is like yeah this running at half speed sludgy sound that's not why anybody shows up for the metallica show you know and i believe i don't have the wiki in front of me right now i closed the window but i believe they it does mention that they've basically phased out all of these songs from their live shows yeah i don't play any of them anymore oh yeah here it is um they did they did the Summer Sanitarium tour with this, which was um, Limp Bizkit, Deftones, Linkin Park, and Mudvayne. And then they did the Madly in Anger with the World tour with support from Godsmack and Slipknot in Europe. And during that tour, Frantic St. Anger, Dirty Window, and The Unnamed Feeling were performed frequently. Some Kind of Monster was also played live, but not as often as the other songs in the album. And Sweet Amber was played only once. By 2009, the songs from Sin Anger were completely absent from Metallica set lists. Frantic was performed last on October 21st, 2008. There we go. If, if you want to hear these songs played live, it might be on you to form your own Metallica cover band to do so. But what a, what a choice. All right. Up next, we've got a song called Dirty Window.
<laughs> I don't know. This song's a little bit of a ripper. It's all just like yeah, yeah. This whole album, honestly, each of the songs has its moments of being a ripper. It's just so different from all of their other albums and it's so corny in so many ways and it reeks of like dudes who were like looking at butts and drinking Budweiser and then got older and are super into like motorcycles now it's just like it <laughs> but it's I know like I think I understand where people are coming from when they say you just gotta let it grow on you cause like Yes, it's very jarring to hear this album the first couple times, but the third time I listened, I was kind of like, I think I'm starting to get it. I don't like it. <laughs> I wish the snare was on. I mean, I don't like a lot uh, about it. The The drums sound insane to me, but... Yes, that yeah. snare is a huge distraction. But you're right. I think you nailed it, Jenny. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. didn't have more. Yeah. I, I wrote in my notes, I wrote clang, clang. Okay, are we riffing? And then I wrote, we're rocking. And this at least has some propulsive power and has a little bit of chug, but it's still, once again, it's too long. It's five minutes and 25 yeah, seconds. How which, is there four minutes left in this song? They just I don't do know. the song again. Yeah, they just play it again. It's honestly, it's it reminds me of when they used to try to combat leaks in the mid two thousands, and you'd download a leaked album, and it would just <laughs> yeah. be the first like minute of the song on a loop. But Metallica was just like, no, that's our album. That's how we do. And um, and what's funny is at five minutes twenty five, this is one of the short songs. This is one of the we didn't even talk about it. Some kind of monster is eight minutes and twenty five seconds long. The shortest track on this album is five minutes and 14 seconds long. That's as short as they get on this record. Yeah. Holy so shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just didn't, I, did, I just don't get the choice of making these so long. Songmeanings.com. Got a comment from for the love who basically comes in and says, uh, I think you guys are a little bit off. James seems to be singing a song about someone misjudging the world around them. Someone who believes they are the sane one and everyone else is crazy. And then he goes down, he says, Projector, finding your own faults in others. Protector, taking it upon yourself to parent the rest of the world. Rejector, refusing to accept the truth of the world around you and inside. Infector, being the one with the disease in a clean world. Defector, refusing the way of the world around you. And then he continues to analyze, and at the end he says, that's one opinion anyway. There you Thank go. You Thank you for your work. I do have to say, uh, a lot of this does seem to come back to James's sobriety, which it seems like was pretty strong for a while, and then just this past October, he went back to rehab. So hopefully he's on the up and up now. Uh, but... I don't, I'm wondering what you think about this, Lauren. I remember thinking this when I saw the documentary the first time years ago, but I really thought it today. Is Lars being like a complete asshole about what James needs going through recovery? I think so. There seems to be, 
a real lack of empathy to it, but also, to, and, and I said that you had pointed out, you know, the, a lot of parts where you felt like Lars was really coked up. And I said, I'm not really like a good gauge of that. I, I can't really even tell. But then there's a part later on where uh, James calls Kirk, but doesn't call Lars from rehab. And I'm wondering if there was this sense of like Lars is like maybe like either a trigger for him or an enabler for him. I'm thinking more of a trigger based on everything else because it seems like an ultimate an ultimate issue for this band is that there is no one leader that it's that it's a two headed situation with Lars and James both trying to lead the band and. And then also to come back to the, the the person who seems to be the most sensible of all of them is Jason. Whenever they talk to Jason in this documentary, he's he's just coming with the heaters. Um, he points out at one point, he says, when I decided to be in music, I was like, I'm not having kids. The music is my children. And these guys all decided they were going to have families too. And they're trying to have it all. They're trying to have it all. As they Whoa. often say, as they often say, and and Jason's basically saying like, you can't do it, you can't do it. Something's gonna have to give, and if you want to have it all, it's not gonna happen. Well, there you go. Speaking yeah. of kids, <laughs> next track, <Yes. laughs> Invisible Kid. What do they do for the next seven minutes? A Can you believe this, this song is eight and a half minutes long? <laughs> They're done. What happened? I just did the new metal math, and that means that we spent almost a half an hour just listening to this song, Lauren, <laughs> on our three <laughs> listens. If you think about that. You're right. You're right. 30 minutes of my life spent listening to the song Invisible Kid, which um, you sent me a text, Jenny, where you said, 
this has got to be the worst song in the album. It, I still can't place it, but this song sounds so much like a song that is played by a band that is a joke in a TV show or a movie, and I, it's been driving me absolutely up the wall. So if you know what song this sounds like, and maybe it is just a song that sounds like this that isn't this that I think is so bad that it sounds like a parody, but I just can't, I can't place it. I I don't know. If you is it figure Scotty it out. doesn't know from Eurotrip? I don't, I don't think so. Mm. I don't know. All that yeah. is to say, this what a, I don't know. This song feels real paint by the numbers to me. Yeah, the fact that we didn't get any invisible kid making of in the documentary that I, I really would have loved some clarity on this one. It is played in the documentary um, when we see the band warming up to do a show, but we do not get a making of. So for one, I think the title Invisible Kid is a bad song title. Once again, these drums sound bad, but that is a given. This one feels kind of new metal, but it has two intros. Two intros. It has the one intro, and you're like, all right, now the song's going to start. And then they're like, no, no, no. Here's a second intro for you. There's a part at 205 where he says, I'm okay, that feels very new. And then there's a part, I don't even remember now, even though I apparently spent a half an hour of my life listening to this song. It's at 510, and I just wrote, ooh, part with a screaming smiley face. And then I wrote, terrible song. So Matt, actually, I'm curious because I can't remember. Go to 510. What happens at 510? You got it, buddy. Here we go. Oh, that's right. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, it's all coming back to me now. For the Dietrich family. Oh, man. Uh, wow, wow, You know, wow. I... Wow. My apartment in Detroit was right around the corner from a Dietrich Furs, and I delighted in driving by it every single time. Dietrich Furs was a Detroit fur coat store that had incredible commercials. That and it was should just... have been vocalized by... James Hetfield. James, James. because it's it literally is ooh Dietrich furs for the Dietrich family. They're riding horses, skiing down snowy. (laughs) My favorite is slow motion skiing down the slopes in a huge fur coat, huge long fur coat. It's saying "fuck money." I don't care. Pure opulence. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, that part, I mean, I was not expecting it. Comes as a complete surprise. It's also five minutes into an eight and a half minute song. (laughs) Really takes you for it. Uh, I went to songmeanings.com just to see what was going on. Jenny, did you have any comments that you liked on song meanings for this one? No, go for it. Prometh said, I can relate to the kid in this story a lot. I'm guessing it's about Kirk because guitarists, like myself, are often quiet and somewhat antisocial at times, but we have confidence and can light up a room when we want to, 
with or without our instruments. Okay. The kid's, the kid's invisible because no one notices him. He was probably outcasted and has since learned to love the silence, much like an old man would. Get stuck where he did. <laughs> hold on, I'm not done. <laughs> I will take questions when we are. Hold on. Uh, got stuck where he did equals stunted his personality growth at the age he became invisible. But don't confuse that with maturity. Inward, he's grown. He knows himself. And suspicious of your touch equals paranoid because he trusts no one. Probably because he sees through their lies. Not a game player. I doubt it has to do with child abuse. I also agree. I don't think it has to do with child abuse. I think it has to be with being ignored. Um, and you know what? Sometimes uh, you have to learn to love the silence, much as an old man would. Matt, you had some questions about that. <laughs> what the fuck? It's- think about oh. it. Okay. Okay. Line me up, Just Jenny. think about it. If you were playing loud music, what would an old man say? Turn it down. There you go. Case point done. That's all I got. <laughs> You're right. Old You're people right. love silence. Why do you think they go deaf? Right. They because love they silence. In love, with, in love with silence. Yeah, they love it so much. Yeah, enjoy the silence by Depeche Mode. It's about old people. It's They're about like, old enjoy it, like, hey, love words it. Words like violence, I'm an old man. And yeah. Yeah. enjoying the silence. Enjoying yeah, the silence. <laughs> Old people watch the movie A Quiet Place and they're like, please. What? Finally. No What's problem. Scary about this? Yeah. I love this. Those things aren't going to find me. I'm quiet as a mouse. Mice are like, yeah, we like being quiet too. <laughs> oh, boy. Believe it or not, there's more songs in this album. Oh. Okay, I guess we should listen to some more of them then. Uh, after Invisible Kid, we get My World. My favorite bit of speculation about this song is that it's about the psychiatrist from the film. That's not, uh, that doesn't seem too far off having just watched the film today. Yeah. Um, what's this gentleman's name, Jenny? His name is Phil, I think it's Towle. I forget how you pronounce his last name. Phil T-O-W-L-E. Phil is brought in to help mediate the band's interpersonal struggles. He had just worked with another band and the label was very happy and they recommended 
that he worked with Metallica. Of course, I'm the moment he mentions that he worked with another band, I'm like, who? Who is the other band? Tell me, Phil. Dish. Who else did you help out? But we never find out. Um, so for some reason, I'm always thinking it was Counting Crows. I doubt it, but I just love the idea of him mediating Counting Crows. That's just my vibe. It's just my feeling. Maybe it's time to shave your head, Adam. He's, and he's like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So they bring him You're in. You're more dread than man, Adam. <laughs> uh, so interesting moment that I had completely forgotten um, was that they bring him in and they had brought him in initially to keep Jason in the band. And Jason said, you want to do what? That shit's fucking lame. I am doubly out of here. So they bring this guy in anyway. He's sitting down. He's got a collection of sweaters. Um, really an amazing collection of sweaters. At one point, he's wearing a short sleeve sweater, a thing I did not even know existed. My man's got one. And um, he is asking some hard questions. And you notice him sort of just show up more and more as the movie goes along. He's in more rooms. He's in... He's involved more. He's sitting at the mixing board, nodding his head at one point. You're like, oh, man, this guy's really deep in. And then they start to, the Metallica starts to be like, maybe we don't need this guy around so much. So then they start deciding, maybe, maybe we don't need you around so much, Phil. And they make plans for Phil to not be around so much. But then they get cold feet and they're like, oh, no, this is a mistake. Phil, you got to stick around. But then they're like, no, no, no. Phil's got to go because we think Phil might think he's in the band. Yeah, he leaves these signs everywhere that talk about getting in the zone, and they're the door. Some of the dorkiest things. God bless Phil for trying. Yeah, but it's like we're gonna enter the zone. If you like, if you want to enter the zone, you gotta be open to the experience. And Lars and um, Kirk are like. We're really uh, not feeling the signs. And he's like, well, maybe we could be a little bit more upfront about that next time. Like, the relationship with Phil gets super, super weird. And uh, it all actually culminates with them. Yeah, with with James being like, I think he thinks he's in the band. I think he's going to join us on tour. I'm not really thrilled with this idea. And then they sort of confront him and they're like, hey, we want, you know, we want we want to minimize this and take you out. And. And also, like, we heard you're, like, selling your house to live close to us. And he's like, no, 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 no. I was going to sell my house either way and move my family here. It's just a coincidence. And I was like, oh, no. Phil was really selling his house and moving his family because he thought he was joining Metallica. (laughs) And... uh, very very weird you know i've watched this movie a couple times now and every time just watching phil just sort of creep more in and more in is is always is always a trip just to see and uh, i'm always noticing a new sweater this is the first time i noticed the short sleeve sweater um really something else well i can help you out a little bit with who phil towley has helped Ooh, rascal flats they needed it they did they were being rascals Mr. Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine says, I've known Phil Towley for over 10 years, and he is one of the most true blue people I've ever had the pleasure to meet. 
Do we have Phil to thank for every Rage Against the Machine reunion? It is possible. Wow. Guess how much Phil was making monthly to be Metallica's therapist. They mentioned this. There's no way he's taking anything less than $100,000 a month. $100,000 a month? This is 2002, Matt. Oh, so there's more money to be had. No. Hmm. I'm sorry. It's $40,000 a month, which I think seems absolutely unfathomable. It's insane. $40,000 a month. What a gig. Just to sit around and have Metallica be upset around you. I mean, that dude stumbled on a a real a real great money maker, you know. Uh I, I, we didn't even talk about it. There's an incredible moment where Phil accompanies Lars to meet his dad. And to meet Lars's dad, I should specify. And uh, he starts talking about like how did Lars's dad impact like him, his life and his upbringing. And Lars just starts talking and just flowing and just brings up like, he's like, yeah, well, you know, the way I talk about my dad is different with mixed company as opposed to like if I was in front of him. And then, and he's saying this in front of his own dad and Phil. And Phil is like, oh, well, what would you say? Like, what would you say You know, if your dad wasn't here? And Lars is like, oh, well. And he's like, well, you brought it up. Like, what would you say? And I was like, oh, man, you know Lars wants to fucking kill Phil right now for even saying this. And uh, and that does also lead. I don't remember if that's right before or right after the one of the best scenes in the entire movie, which is... Um, uh Lars playing his dad some new material noticeably not on the album I uh, just play him some new material and uh Lars's dad says um if I was in your management I would tell you to delete this um an incredible moment yeah Lars's dad moment. not there to play I appreciate no. it yeah all right up next we got another what I would say is an all-timer uh, shoot me again.
Here it comes. This was another time that I screamed while running around my lovely neighborhood. Shoot me again. Shoot me I, again. I, I did it. Holy shit. And then he goes, shoot me again. Shoot me again. Uh, Not great. Seven minutes long. What are they doing for the other five minutes? So, it's a so- lot of shoot me, shoot me, shoot me stuff. Yeah. Uh, this one, I got to say it. Feels pretty new metal. Light changing at the top there. You get that as well. Not a not a good song. Not a, that's really my takeaway. Um, also, at seven minutes, that uh, means it's twenty one minutes long, which means it's the same length as a network comedy show without the commercials. So that's how long Jenny and I spent listening to this song. There we go. Uh, yeah, uh, songmeanings dot com. There is a comment. I, 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 I made a point in my notes to mention this comment. It is from, let me make sure I find it here. It's from Metallica Freak. And they said, hey, Truth Speaker, speaking to someone named Truth Speaker, well said. And I wasn't born when they were an underground band, but I still have all the albums and I love the shit pulling teeth. Awesome. Yeah. And for Joey the Boy. You've been ragging on already, but Sep, the new bassist, he's my least fave bassist that's played for Metallica. Cliff was the best. Aw, oh, but who am I be talking, right? I'm only 13, and I don't know shit, and I shouldn't be talking, eh? WTFE, Metallica are not sellouts. All y'all want to be fans, back the fuck up now and shut up. Nice. Got him. Got him. You're only 13, but you're already gotten them. You're already getting them. Um, they were begging to be got. They were. They really were. Shoot me again. I ain't dead yet. Oh, Shoot boy. Me again. Right. I ain't dead yet. Hey, we got to keep sh- going. Shoot me again. <laughs> I ain't dead yet. That's maybe the song <laughs> won't ever end because they're like, I'm trying. It's like, I'm still not dead. This is a never ending <laughs> salad bar of a record. It just keeps <laughs> going. <laughs> Shoot me a dash. Maybe this Shoot is me a-, a crouton. I'm hungry. Yeah, you never get to the dressing. It's it's <laughs> the most. It's a. It's I a guess real- I'm gonna add sunflower seeds. Shoot yeah. me good. I ain't dead yet. <laughs> yeah, add on some cucumbers and some black olives. Yeah. I ain't dead yet. That's how James Hetfield <laughs> punctuates his move down a never-ending <laughs> salad bar. Would you? Uh, uh, oh, when he's at a wedding and they're like, "Do you want?" Uh, any dressing on and he's like shoot me again I ain't dead yet here you go he keeps, he keeps saying it it's not it, nobody cares anymore shoot me again I ain't dead yet like yeah he wants another napkin look we're just giving people cool tips and tricks to take into the world when stuff opens again and you want more sauce or cheese or whatever you want more of oh my gosh the next when restaurants open, I, okay, yeah, I'm there, and they're gonna be like, "Do you want a refill on that Coke?" 
Shoot me again. I ain't dead yet. They're never going to stop grating Parmesan on my salad at Olive Garden. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, just tell me when you're done. Shoot me again. Here we go. I, ma'am, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Is that keep going? Shoot me again. Shoot me again. Uh, yeah. You know, why the fuck not? We've only got not? one life to live. Why not you just right? that do that? Life. Absolutely. That, there's no yeah. there's no law that says I can't say shoot me again. I ain't dead yet. Somebody's <laughs> refilling my water. Like, <laughs> keep going. Uh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's 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 really all all serving, all applicable. You know, you can be going to get a coney dog, and they're like, oh. Do you uh do you want some ketchup for your fries? Should we should be a There we go. Really, just anywhere you go. Just think anyway. of a Let place. Let us know how you're gonna use "shoot me again." I ain't dead yet in your lockdown situation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag shoot me again. No, oh boy. Well. Oh boy. Yeah, you know, use it. All right. Up next, we got a song called "Sweet Amber." had to fade it out uh there's only you know another four and a half minutes left of that song you know what is sweet amber kind of all right 
Go on. It seems it seems to be more in their wheelhouse, right? It, it this one, I I don't know. Like it's it starts a lot uh, very similar to how a lot of the other songs in this album start, but it. I wrote, it almost has like a melody and a good little gallop to it. Um, and when it slows down, that sweet amber part, it feels more organic than a lot of the other moments like that in the album. And the uh, the How Sweet Are You, like, I don't, I don't know, that, that feels a little more pointed, a little more true than some of the other stuff in the album. So, you know, or maybe this is just because I've spent, you know, half my life listening to this album. I believe Jenny does the math on it. We've spent half our life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so maybe, maybe yeah, maybe I'm all right in Sweet Amber. I don't know. Matt, what do you think of Sweet Amber? You know, I, I'm kind of at the point where this doesn't feel super new to me as much as it sounds more like they heard songs for the deaf. And they were like, I kind of want to do that even though you watch the documentary and that's probably not what they did at all. I mean, it's the first time I'm hearing these songs. I cannot believe how long a lot of them are because it just seems like it cut them. But this song's pretty good. Jenny, thoughts on Sweet Amber? This one was a little weird to me. But yeah, I agree with what you're saying, Matt, that it sounds like they wanted to go somewhere a little bit more stonery and didn't they interview didn't interview didn't they like audition scott reader for bass briefly they do yeah so there is um a section of the film in which they show the bass bassist auditions and we see a who's who of bassists come in through the room and one of them is scott reader from caius and Right from Caius? Yeah. Right mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they, um, I don't think they show him like very briefly, like playing with them. Um, but you have him, you have Pepper Keenan from COC, you have uh, Twiggy from Marilyn Manson, Eric Avery from Jane's Addiction, Danny Loner from Nine Inch Nails, and of course, uh, who they ended up going with, Robert, who was in Ozzy's band and Suicidal Tendencies. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it seems pretty clear that it's going to go to our boy Rob pretty quickly. Um, He just, for I mean, even knowing that he makes it into the band, he just looks like he's just way more comfortable. And then after they show them all performing... uh, I forget if it's Kirk or, or Lars who says it seemed like he was the only person who was not struggling to keep up. Because they do have a shot of Twiggy playing at one point, and it does not look like he is in the zone. Um, the Metallica zone, not Phil's zone. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it does seem like, yeah, they, they sort of were going for a bit of a Queens of the Stone Age, Stone Rock vibe, but when they actually got a got a stoner rock guy in the studio they were like no that's not that's not what we need that's not what we need for the band um and it was also interesting though to see like the looks on their faces as they were talking to metallica like they're it it was very clear to me like the stature of metallica because there's still this vibe in a lot of their faces of like oh my god i'm talking to metallica right now (laughs) 
Like even Pepper Keenan, who I figured would never be somebody who'd necessarily be like starstruck by anybody. He had a bit of like a, oh my gosh, I'm really in the room with Metallica and they're asking me to play. This is incredible. This, but the other part in the movie that this was tied to and uh, comes up in the lyrics is uh, when Metallica's asked to record some radio spots for some local radio stations and they are not feeling it. They're goofing around. And then Bob Rock's like, I'm kind of surprised you guys did that shit. Maybe it's not my place. I'm just your producer and your friend and your current bassist. But maybe Bono and The Edge would never do that. And then they have a conversation with their manager who, this manager, Jenny, <laughs> this guy. He's amazing. You, you First you hear him on the, you hear his voice on the phone. And so your thought, Matt, a manager he works for, was it Q-Line or Q-Entertainment or Q-Management, something like that? Yeah, right? something like that. So the, you, first you only hear his voice on the phone. And he just, I, I just imagine, what do you imagine? Like a, like a, hey, I'm Metallica's manager. What do you imagine he looks like? Um, kind of nondescript. Um, gets things done. And he might even be in khakis and a polo. I'm not sure. That's my thought, too. Then my man rolls in. He's between the ages of 50 and 100. (laughs) He's wearing a dirty hoodie. That hoodie ain't clean. A dirty hoodie. He's got long, gray, curly hair. He's a rough-looking dude. And he's like, listen... You need to record these spots because this is, they own half the radio stations in the country. You need to record these spots so they don't turn their back on you. And Hetfield goes, wait a minute, they do that? And he's like, yeah, (laughs) they would totally do that. Hetfield cannot wrap his head around the idea that these radio stations would, with malice, not play new Metallica songs. He can't believe it. He's stunned. And thus that leads to the lyric, wash your back so you don't stab mine. And it was just kind of amazing that James Hetfield was just like, what's this quid pro quo? I can't believe this is existing in terrestrial radio. I can't believe it. He's stunned. He's never not stunned by this news. Why radio has been squeaky clean since the payola scandal got busted. That's true. He's weirdly surprised by a few things in this documentary toward the beginning um somebody reads a mission statement and he's like mission and somebody explains what a mission statement is to him and i was like (laughs) not never one he just seems so surprised but good for him yeah, I mean, it, it would really that that moment was like that's the that's this movie's you know Michael how much could uh could a thing of bananas cost ten dollars you know that that was really that moment for me of yeah just him just being totally shocked that these radio stations would do him dirty like that um so yeah there's a comment on song meetings i won't read the whole thing but basically someone decides uh that they want to pitch out their spy movie script and tries to make the uh the case that this whole song is about spies um which i don't see 
And uh, But good luck. Good luck on your screenplay. You didn't like the comment that says, I like the guitar part at the end of the song. It goes, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I didn't I didn't like that comment that much, but when you read it, it sounds great, and it's yeah. obviously the best comment. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, all right. Up next, we've got The Unnamed Feeling. feel like i turned it off too early no <laughs> i mean i've I mean, only I mean, played like a whole song i mean matt that's the thing with all these songs i mean the unnamed feeling uh for one thing it's seven minutes and eight seconds long uh i watched the video for this song and it hit me when i was watching this video that these guys submitted all these singles to radio and didn't make a radio edit one time all the videos are album length long stunning Stunning bit of hubris. And uh you know what? You know what you when you got when you got that power and you got that pull, I guess you gotta do it. This is the one that I had this thought that maybe they're all playing just different songs and they just put it all on top of each other just to it, see what would happen. That top is like, huh? Yeah. What's it's going a, on? It's a head scratcher. Um, you got some chug in there. The the whisper top gave me a little bit of a corn vibe. Um, 
But speaking of music that they could be listening to, we speculated on it. But in the documentary, there's only one band that we know a member listened to. Jenny, what band was that? Jason Newstead's new band? Jason Newstead's band, Echo Brain. That's the only band that we are 100% certain anyone in Metallica listened to uh, in the recording process. And what an experience that section of the movie is, Jenny. Yeah, they Kirk and uh, Lars go to see... And Bob Rock. Oh, Bob Rock goes as well. Uh, they, they go to see, is it Echo Brain? Yeah, it's Echo Brain, yep. And they just can't handle it. Like, Lars in particular is having the worst time. They're just naming people who work at this studio, which Bob Rock knows, but nobody else does. And apparently, Jason, you said, I think he just didn't want to be filmed uh, in this documentary. So he ghosts and... Lars just gets pissed because he wanted Jason Newstead to be failing. Oh, easily. That is absolutely what he wants. Like, and it really comes out where he says, I think he literally says he's like, they're driving to the echo brain show. And he's like, I thought this was going to be in like some shitty bar and he'd be playing for like 20 people, but I guess it's a thing now. So we got to go. And I was like, wow. Okay. And then they go, they watch the band. We get, brief snippets of their music which basically sounds like funk rock based on the snippets we hear and Lars hears it and is having like a crisis where he's like that's the future we're the past I was like okay relax relax Lars the guy's here guy hears one funky guitar and he's like it's the fucking future yeah (laughs) I can't I'm the guy who can't finish a song I'm the guy whose band can't release an album Jason's living in the future we're stuck in the past so it's real tough real tough scene um yeah and uh and yeah so that, that that yeah that that was just a weird moment of of that and and you know you do see they do talk to jason late on in the documentary and he's like do i miss being a metallica he's like every now and again i'll get a little itch but then i think about all the other shit and i don't regret it at all and and at that point in the documentary you're like oh we get it you 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 got out while the getting was good (laughs) so um yeah, this I song. Mean, they, yeah. He did get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with him, though. But he was not considered an MTV icon, Matt. He forfeited his icon status when he quit the band, Matt. <laughs> That's what I, mean, I would have said to I him. I mean, I have been gotten, uh, but that was a world-class gotten from both of you. <laughs> so We're... If you ascend to the level of icon, that's a sort of unmatched success. Yeah, it's true. I mean, think about it. Being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, sure, you may be placed aside other such luminaries as the Beatles and Beatles solo records. But if you are inducted into the MTV icon status, that means that you get to sit there and watch Avril Lavigne perform some of your songs weigh it out weigh it out Mm, yeah you got to figure it out you know and at the end of the day 
you can turn to someone and say, shoot me again, I ain't dead yet. Shoot me again, I ain't dead yet. So true. Uh, quick cue. I'm respectful of our time. <laughs> this oh, this album is 7504. Jesus. That's, that's only close 11 to like, tracks. Yeah, that's close to like a feature length film. Yeah, it's true. Wow. I think it's like five minutes shorter than like Monsters, Inc., I want to say. Which yeah. I recently rewatched with my son. Entertaining film. Entertaining film. There we go. All right. We got two songs left. Uh, this next one is called Purify. This song, I'll go to my notes. This song is a fucking mess. But at this point, I mean, I've been worn down. I mean, for one, shoot me again. I ain't dead yet. Shoot me again. I ain't dead yet. I ain't dead yet. And it's very new in a lot of ways. But at the same time, I mean, for one, just imagine if the drums were good. You know, I feel like that would elevate it a little bit. Um but it had a bit more of just an unhinged messiness that I was willing to appreciate. Also, clocks in at a sprightly five minutes and 14 seconds. So, <laughs> I mean, sprightly. I mean that, and for this record, this is this album's song too, basically. So, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I guess I wasn't, I wrote, I, I'll take it. So clearly I was deep into my St. Anger Stockholm syndrome at this point. Jenna, your thoughts on Purify? The song, especially the top of the song, just sounds like they had a little bit of everything left over and they just threw it all in the pot together and it didn't work. I don't think so. The song. I, uh, not for me. This is this is that Thursday dinner when you've like you've made something the all the rest of the week and it's not quite Friday and so you feel like you can't justify getting like ordering out or going out to the restaurant, obviously pre-pandemic. And so you're like, what do we got in this fridge that I can mix up together? Let's just get it all together. And then as you're eating it, you're like, oh, should have added a little bit more of this, maybe taken out a little bit of that. And this is what you got. Um, I got to tell you, songmeetings.com, which has been working super hard to justify this album, kind of hits a breaking point with this song. 
commenter some kind of monster said this song could have been a lot better (laughs) that's it they just tapped out after that hey man speak your truth and then uh no light to see by said awful 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 song and then uh this is my favorite comment it's from leblanc who said why do people hate this song so much it was the first song I heard off of St. Anger, Don't Ask, and I fell in love with it. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. <laughs> wait. No, LeBlanc. I need to know now that you've thrown this at me. Don't ask why this was the first song you heard. No, no, no. I want to know. Okay. Why? Funny story. So I bought this CD from Best Buy, and when I got in my car, I put it in, and... I didn't know it at the time, but my CD player was on shuffle, so it played this song first, so I thought it was the first song on the album. I didn't even know the listing, the track listing, until, like, I got home. So embarrassing. Wow. (laughs) Now I know why I said don't ask. Don't ask. (laughs) So (laughs) embarrassing. Wow. God, Lauren, why'd you uh, ask? I, I was blushing. Curious. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, LeBlanc. Much. I'm sorry, LeBlanc. Oh, I'm so dumb. <laughs> um, well, now we know. Now we know. Jenny, uh, Purify, though, where, where do you stand? Uh, I, I even know I'm Purify. <laughs> <laughs> I think this album is ready to go to bed. <laughs> I think this album <laughs> Night, night. I think that's the night-night. Night-night, night-night, All right. Well, we got one more before we go night-night. All right. It's called All Within My Hands.
so this is one of the uh, only songs in the album, actually, that has variety throughout its long running time of eight minutes and 48 seconds. You knew you weren't getting out of here real quick. You know that. This song is basically saying, shoot me again. I ain't dead yet. This song ain't over yet. This album ain't over yet. It'll never end. And uh, it actually does end in uh, something that surprised me a lot. Did not see it coming, Matt. If you go to 725, get ready for some kills. surprising <laughs> and uh that is that's the last song on saying anger jenny thoughts on all within my hands i can't think of all within my hands without thinking of the most scathing songmeetings.com comment i think i've ever read Ooh, please it's long Okay, well, <laughs> we're in it. Hey, here, hey, here Jenny, 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 shoot me again. I ain't dead yet. All right. Well, neither yet. is either Scone or I hope it's pronounced Scone, but not sure. Commented on February 15th, 2008. This record is a waste of money. Never again will I be tricked into giving this band another cent of my money, not even for a live show. The drumming is not complicated, not in the slightest bit. Lars is, and has been throughout his career, mediocre at best. His best drumming was on Justice, and he can't even play those songs anymore. Don't get me started on the terrible production of his drums on this record. On the DVD, his snares sound semi-normal for frantic insane anger, and then switches back to Lars beating on a fucking metal garbage can. How ironic that this sounds accurately describes their career since 1990. Down the shitter into the garbage this band has ventured. They're never coming back. Face it. They're done. If they had any sense of dignity, they'd hang it up. But apparently they know how to piss through money to keep releasing bullshit albums to quench their insatiable thirst for loots. The bass playing on this album is nothing to speak of. Bob Rock is not a good bass player at all. Trulio, however, is a solid bass player, so no knocks on him. Bob Rock ruined the band with his bullshit production of their album since 1990. Yeah, Metallica will not release another Black Album again, but the true fans don't want another fucking Black Album. Goes on for three more paragraphs like that, (laughs) taking down each individual and fans. Jenny, you you tapped out right before this incredible line, though. Oh, that's true. You got to read this part. You got to read that part. So some of you actually like this record? Bah, fucking sheep, all of you. Buy whatever it is because it's got a name on it. Doesn't matter if it's crap. It's Metallica. It's got to be good. If any of you are older than 14, I'd be surprised. Even if you're older, you need to smarten the fuck up. <laughs> my, 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 my. Scone came for us. Scone came. Let me tell you, 
They did. No more shots needed. They did. Um, Matt, do you have any thoughts about All Within My Hands? No, not really. Those kills are wow. That's a wow. Kill, 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 kill. And uh, that's the album. That is Sane Anger, Stanger, Street Anger, however you want to call it. And uh, now it's the part of the show where we curtain talk. talk about the cannon. Jenny, we're going to start with you. Uh, so there was a lot more new metal to this album, or at least like a lot clearer and more present uh, new metal. Why am I saying clear and present danger? <laughs> clear and present new metal <laughs> on this record. Um, but. I definitely wouldn't put it in the canon. It's really interesting to see how that genre's prevalence and popularity may have influenced this. Um, But no, I had fun listening to this album, uh, long as it may be. It was funny and weird. And some of the songs I think are rippers in a a very specific kind of way. But... uh, I do not think that there's anything that belongs in the canon here. Matt, how about you? I have a very similar take. Hearing the record, it's odd at best. It seems to be a band out of sorts. Obviously, they made the documentary, which pretty much confirms that. Um, It seems to not be success be successful in the ways they wanted it to be and then uh doesn't work in the other ways it's it's a miss it's just a miss of a record yeah i'm not surprised at all that they don't play any of these songs live they basically should have taken 11 songs and made it a 40 minute record at most and just boiled it down because there's some good ideas but it's just overwrought why do we have another seven minutes on invisible kid that's my thoughts mm. yeah this is a uh, saint anger's a, uh, a pretty bad album and what was really interesting to listen to it three times then watch the doc again is that it really is clear that at the point in which they were trying to make this record they were already a wounded beast by losing their bassist, then taking the PR hit of the Napster stuff. And it felt, watching the doc especially, that they really did not have any push to make this album outside of Metallica Inc. needs more product for the marketplace. And James sort of hints at that a little bit when he comes back from rehab, that he's like, he has this moment of like, why are we doing this? We got the these cameras here videoing us. Like, why are we doing it? It's because like, oh, it's because we're Metallica. It's what we do. But, and that was sort of like, I was like, oh, if they had followed that down that hole, they probably wouldn't have made the album and maybe something even worse. Like, I don't know, maybe end the band. But then they talk him or he talks himself back from really following through on that. But it really just doesn't feel like they they had any idea of what they needed. And I think part of that is that they were still... I mean, I felt that Bob Rock was a good 
presence in the film. He seems like somebody with the best intentions of the band at heart. I think he comes across really well, actually. Probably one of him and Kirk Hammett, I think, come across pretty well in the doc. Um, but um, I think they probably needed to to maybe loosen up and work with a different producer, which they have since. They've not worked with Bob Rock since. They worked with Rick Rubin. And they worked with, um, I think his name is Greg Fettelstein. I know he's done some Slipknot records and some Disturbed records. Yeah, I don't, I don't think uh, they probably should have made this record, and they probably should have also waited to get um, a new bassist before they made the record, just to have uh, some new blood in there, you know, to to shake things up. Because it, it's very clear that once they got Rob in the band, things have been trucking along pretty good for Metallica for the most part since, uh, and also. The drums, those drums. Oh, yeah. Awful. Uh, that, awful. That I really feel like, and maybe I've already said this in the episode, I feel like if the drums were normal, we probably would not even be talking about this album right now. It probably would just be like, uh, oh, that's just like a whatever Metallica record. But the drums jump it up a level uh, that make it kind of infamous. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. Not in the canon. What do you mean? Uh, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? What about rewind? Let's listen to the whole thing again. I All think right. it goes okay. in. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Stem to stern on this thing. Listen, we need to get this four hour app going. Yeah. Well, there you go. Metallica, not in the new metal canon. Um, and that is. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. <laughs> they are fine. They're going to continue to be fine. Yeah, it's going to be fine for those guys. Uh, and that is the end of our 200th episode, you guys. 200 wow. apps in the can. Let's do 200 more. We're getting these requests and recommendations coming in. Apparently, there's 200 more plus ahead of us. So we're going to keep this train going. Keep on saying hello online. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Send us an email. Roachcoachpodcast at gmail.com. Of course, coach with a K. Uh, we hope you're all staying safe out there with this pandemic. We're all doing our part. We hope you are too. Staying home, keeping yourself healthy. Until next time, Jenny, thank you. Lauren, thank you. Matt, thank, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye.